Hey guys, DJ here. This is a disclaimer. Applied Materials is a 100% non-profit, fan-made project set within the Orpheus Protocol game system. The Orpheus Protocol is an actual play podcast and tabletop role-playing game system created by Rob Stith and published by Varkalak Press. If you would like to know more, please check out the main podcast at www.orpheusprotocol.com and patreon.com slash orpheusprotocol if you'd like to show more support for the main podcast. Thank you for your time and please enjoy the following episode. Welcome to Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol fan server production. My name is DJ and I will be your host for tonight. Joining me on our journey into the unknown are Yoreen as Seshi Kush, Renee as Mara Vanalor, Laurie as Erki Lindstrom. Tonight's episode, Land of the Unburied, Part 1. Land of the Unburied contains violence, droves of the undead, unforeseen outcomes, and a grim sense of foreboding. Consider this your warning. So the four of you, JP included, are on a passenger jet to Moscow International Airport. You are flying to Russia to embark on another investigation, this time of a plane crash somewhere in the Russian wilderness. When you arrive in Moscow International Airport, you are immediately whisked onto a charter flight. It's a smaller plane that flies about three hours from Moscow to a small town called Zarya. It is an abandoned mining town that just happens to have an airstrip nearby that pe- that the local townsfolk used to use. And it is here that you find a modest military operation being set up. There's a couple of tents. There's a few trucks, big military style car- cargo trucks. There's a couple of soldiers milling around, setting up things going through the contents of some crates and JP leads you to a big barn where inside this barn have been fashioned some big tent-like structures. He takes you into one of the bigger tents and it looks like a kind of improvised meeting room has been set up. It's got a couple of folding chairs, no table, and there's a small handheld projector on a stack of crates. It is currently projecting a blank screen onto the side of the tent as there is a soldier there with a laptop connected to the projector, just sort of giving it a few tests, making sure it's working. The moment he sees JP walk into the tent, he stands and gives a crisp salute. JP salutes back and the soldier goes, everything should be ready for you, sir. To which JP replies, thank you. If you could leave us be, please. The soldier nods, and he leaves the meeting room. JP turns to the three of you and goes, Right, now we wait for our American compatriots to join us here on this meeting room. In the meantime, uh, any questions that you want to ask beforehand, before I give the briefing, now is the time. Mm, so, another mining town? Uh, yes. Well, not, not, not this town specifically. This was your farming town. Uh, we're going to the town to the north of Zarya. It's a town called Mirny. Very famous diamond mine used to be there until it closed somewhere in the early 2000s, we do believe. Erki takes a seat on the nearest chair and rubs his temples and asks from JP, have you been keeping tabs on the uh, Finnish authorities regarding my situation, seeing as the, uh, they uh, got my identity during the last... Well, 
I'm not sure as to the extent of the of the data breach, but we're looking into all of your compromised identities now. Uh, the Finnish authorities have yet to take up the leaks, as it were. I suppose then that Black Steel have kept that detail under wraps. I suppose because they want to keep this whole thing internal. Uh, not too much has been revealed to the press, other than what happened might have been a case of corporate espionage gone wrong. Uh, so three of you have not been positively identified by Finnish news as of yet. I will make sure to keep you updated of the situation. Okay, thank you. Just wanted just wanted to clarify that to know when it might be safe to uh, return, if at all. Yes, it is. It is very worrying that Blacksteel were able to access our data so easily. I'll I'll have to look into the European branch's security to see what happened. Data breaches like this don't happen often with Office. Let's put it this way. Can I? And says so she's going to look to Mara and Eriki. Can I have a moment alone? Um, are you? Is it if you're going to discuss something that might have? Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, a moment alone with you. JP kind of looks to Mara and Erki, shrugs. Um, if the two of you are agreeable, uh, I suppose so, yes. Erki shrugs and says that, yeah, fine by me. I'm going to see what kind of coffee we're offering over here on the other side of the border. Ooh. Haven't heard much good things about Russian coffee, though. And he exits the meeting room with a slight... Bring me one as well. <laughs> He lifts his hand up and shakes it like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowing the Russian military, the coffee shouldn't be too great. You shouldn't expect much. Erki has already left the meeting room, but you can hear from somewhere along the corridor, like, that's what I thought. (laughs) So Mara also leaves the tent, leaving the two of you alone. JP kind of moves in ever so slightly to be conspirational, as it were, and lowers his voice and says, is there something wrong? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I I fell asleep on the plane, and when I woke up, this was in my pocket, and she takes out the driver's license. And I don't remember ever having this. It has my name, it has my picture, and I know we are knee-deep in operation, etc., etc., etc. But if somebody could run the numbers on this, that would be great. I want to know JP. how it got there. JP raises his eyebrow and takes the driver's license, noting that most of the information on it has been redacted in black opaque marker, and goes, oh, this looks, I mean, this, this, this is you, isn't it? But well, how, yes. come all, how come all the names and everything has been like blacked out? If I knew that, I wouldn't be asking for help. Hmm. And you say you fell asleep on the plane here. And then woke up and had this in your wallet, Is it, was it? Yeah. Did you, perchance, like, see anything, dream anything? Or t- did you make contact with some other entity on board the flight that uh, we were not privy to? Or? Um, not that I'm aware of. I had a dream, but like that was just a long-forgotten memory that came up. So a dream that was a memory, right. Hmm. And you didn't have this before you had this dream, yes? No, I haven't seen this piece of plastic in years, if not decades. Mysterious. Well, it does feel like this should be with you, of course, but uh, I can look into it. 
records for existing Orpheus agents that hasn't been redacted or anything. Shouldn't be too hard to look into. Uh, I'll look into this, uh, but you should take the car back. And he takes out his phone and then snaps a picture of the front and the back of the driver's license and then hands it back to you. We should focus on the mission at hand, but while I suppose we are waiting for our American friends, I can do a little bit of digging for all you. While you're digging, maybe the name Roger Jacobson helps you out a little bit. Roger Jacobson. He's typing this into his phone and then he nods and goes, all right, uh, sounds like an American name. But I will, I will look into it. I promise you that. I can't promise you any answers because we are still on mission, so... Yeah, yeah, I know. Other question. Do you have some, like, one of those those, those hand sanitizer thingies? Hand sanitizer? Uh... Or just rubbing alcohol, that's fine too. Rubbing alcohol? Uh, I don't have any on me. But I, but I think if you go outside and look for perhaps, like, a medic... Or a medical tent, they might have those tiny little alcohol swabs that they use to clean you, your arm for, you know, giving blood and stuff like that. Right, medics, yes. Okay, I'll be back in like, well, Americans are allowed, so I'll probably hear when they have arrived. Do, do you even speak the language? They don't speak normal English? Agent Kush, these are Russian military, not American. <sighs> the, only Rus- the only language they speak is Russian. Uh, okay. No, I don't. Hmm. I might have someone who can help you, though. In fact, knowing him, he should be here already. You see him sort of tap rather fervently on his phone. Looks like he's typing out a text message. A couple moments later, you hear his phone vibrate, and he goes, Ah, he's here already. Good. Uh, just go outside. Uh, it's a central area. Uh, at the entrance of the barn, you will find a man who looks... Very much like a university professor, because he is. He is one of our contacts for today's mission. His name is Dr. Gennady Volkov. He will be accompanying us for our mission today. But since the Americans aren't here yet, you can go to him. He understands English well enough. He can help you translate. Okay. Thanks. And Sheshi will head to Dr. Volkov. JP nods. And just before you leave, you can see him walk to the laptop that was left behind and plug in a thumb drive and start typing. You leave the tent. Mara, I assume, is still standing outside. That is correct. And a few minutes have gone by. Erki, I want you to roll a luck check for me, please. A luck check, okay. That would be a one, two, and a two. So that would be a minus three, I guess. You're Finnish. You have pretty high standards for coffee and related beverages in your hometown. Unfortunately for you, not only, not only is this somewhere in the ass end of Russia, none of these people speak Finnish or English, and the coffee is in bags. It's instant coffee, not beans or anything. And it tastes like swill. It's more or less what Erke was predicting he would get around this part <laughs> in a military camp like this. You have a styrofoam cup of instant coffee that tastes awful, smells like convenience store coffee as you make your way back to the group. You can yeah. see the two of them standing outside the tent where you were just now. I think I have only taken like one sip from my own cup and then I decided that I'm not even going to take another cup and I'm just going to give my own cup to Sashi when I get back. Sashi, you see Erki walk up with a piping hot cup of coffee that you can smell and it smells awful. She's going to take the cup, thanks, need this, and walk away. 
while sipping from the cup. And yes, it's awful, but it's coffee. It will do. As you start to walk away, you see approaching the three of you a slightly shorter man. It's kind of pudgy, but not round. He's wearing a thick winter coat. You can see he's got jeans on, boots, sweater as well. Thick black glasses. And he has a head of short, neatly combed brown hair. And he sees you first, says she, walking towards him with a cup of cup of coffee. He walks towards you, extends his hand and goes, Ah, you must be Agent Kush. I am Dr. Gennady Volkov. I was told to expect you. Dr. Volkov, thank you. And she accepts the handshake. It's, it's firm and welcoming. And he goes, ah, yes, well, I wish our meeting could have been under better circumstances. But as it stands, this isn't too bad. You are going somewhere? Yes, I'd like... Uh, could you help me bring me... Voila. Could you help me locate the medic tent? I need some alcohol to rub something off. Ah, I suppose. I suppose I could help. And he kind of scans the makeshift camp. Doesn't find a very obvious tent with a red cross on it, and then stops one of the soldiers. They have a rather rapid-fire discussion in Russian, and then he returns to you and says, the medics are setting up over there, and he points to the ruins of another building just across the road. Okay, great. Problem. I don't speak Russian. Ah, uh, that is no problem, Agent Kush. I will follow you and help you translate, of course, this. This shouldn't be too hard. Thank you so much. And then she is off. <laughs> Just fully expecting this man to follow her. Oh, he keeps in step with you, surprisingly. Nice. The quick fire discussion, was, the, was Mara still around when that happened? Or were they uh, already a, a we, little bit off? You, you were in earshot, yeah? Yeah. So I'd like you to roll a language Russian for me to see if you'd understand what they were saying. That's with cognition, right? Yes. Okay, uh, there go my three pluses, so that's a seven. So you are in earshot of this quick conversation with, between Dr. Volkov and this soldier, and Dr. Volkov essentially asks the soldier, do you know where the medical tent is? The soldier replies, no. The uh, Dr. Volkov then asks, do you know where the medics are? And then the soldier says, yes, in that building over there. And the soldier points. It's a very mundane conversation, not much... Uh, and then you watch both uh, Seshi and Dr. Volkov disappear towards the building that the soldier pointed at. The soldier goes back to doing his own thing. Okay. Thank you. So, Seshi, you approach this abandoned building. It appears that some soldiers have set up a small medical tent in here or a medical facility. There are a couple of cot beds, some crates, and you can recognize medical supplies like IV bags, strip stands. IV lines and stuff like that. All set up. There are no patients, thankfully, yet. One of the soldiers notices the two of you answer, and he approaches the two of you and asks clearly a question that has the tone of what are you doing here in Russian. Dr. Volkov engages him in conversation. They talk for a short while. And then you see the soldier, this medic, reach into his pack and pull out a single alcohol swab, and he hands it to you. I'll take it. And I'll try and rub down the the ink, at least from a couple parts of the of the driver's license. All right. Why don't you roll me a luck check? Ooh, minus one. So you rip open the packaging of the alcohol swab. It's small. 
and you start rubbing away at the ink on your driver's license, not much of it comes out. It's so thickly applied and dry and old to the point where you probably remove a few surface layers. You see a few little holes here and there, but you don't uncover much in the way of either words or even letters. What you do manage to uncover is mostly garbled parts of letters, like small lines in the driver's license. It doesn't uncover much. So the medic sees you rubbing away at your driver's license, which which the guy rightly assumes is something very unimportant. And he says something to Dr. Volkov. And Dr. Volkov looks to you, looks at the driver's license, looks back at you and asks you, um, is this important for the mission or... Am I important for the mission? Then uh, yes. No, no, no. What I, what I mean is what you're doing with whatever it is that you're holding and rubbing with that alcohol swab. Well, this is important for me. I am important for the mission. Therefore, this is important for the mission. I think we should leave the man to his business. Um, in any case, the American should be arriving soon. I just received a text message from JP's saying that the American's flight here into the town has just touched down. They should be here in a few minutes. Ugh, fine. She'll reluctantly follow him out of the tent. He nods and smiles rather genially at the soldier who sort of brushes him off. So the three of you go back to the tent, sit down, kind of talk idly or sit in uncomfortable silence. When outside, you hear the sound of a land vehicle pull up, several sets of footsteps approaching the tent, and then entering the tent, you see two men and a woman enter. One of the men is a bit taller, looks a bit younger, kind of mid-twenties-ish. Kind of ver- quite well-built, sort of soldierly build, short brown hair. But the most noticeable thing about him is the presence of this great big battle axe on his back. Behind him is another man, also similarly military-ish build, short crew cut, brown hair, brown eyes. And right behind them is a lady, slightly younger, kind of also kind of mid-twenties. Sunglasses, jacket, jeans, shoes. Looks kind of like a valley girl, but doesn't really belong here. JP nods to the three of them, and the Americans take their seats. And JP goes, good, good. So, a bit of introductions, I know, there. Team Coldheart. This is American operational cell, dog walk, codename Dog Walkers. He gestures to the lady, this is Agent Lucy Mercury. He then gestures to the guy with the axe and says, this is Agent Garrett Hardy. And then he gestures to the last dude and says, and this is Agent Toby Burke. Mara will nod each of their names and say, I'm Mara. Eric will also nod to all three of them and say that Eric Lindstrom. Says she uncharacteristically goes last. And says, just squints her eyes again at the at the mention of dog walkers. And says, says she, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> JP moves to where the laptop is, turns on the projector, types a few things, and goes, "Right then, if everyone's ready, we shall begin the briefing." Uh, good afternoon for our American friends here. My name is JP. I will be your handler for this operation. Code name Darkwood. The situation is as follows. Approximately 20 hours ago, Cathay Pacific Flight 152 crashed to the Russian town of Myrny in the Zaka Republic. We are currently in Zaya, an abandoned, ta- an abandoned town south of Myrny, 
we will be using this place as a staging point because of circumstances that will be detailed later on this briefing. And now you might be asking yourself, why is Orpheus responding to a plane crash? Well, firstly, the plane was hijacked. It didn't crash because of, well, external fact, uh, internal factors. The hijackers were confirmed from sources on board the flight as members of the private security organization called Black Steel Industries. Oh, those guys. grunts. Secondly, we have also confirmed that the objective was to secure this. And he presses a button on his laptop and projected onto the side of the tent is a picture of what looks like a carrying case. It's open and there are several vials of glass filled with some sort of liquid and some strange looking thing floating within this solution. And the case itself is padded and it looks as if it's also cooled, self-cooled. And he says, this is a cryogenically frozen flesh sample from a flight that agents Kush and Vanalor here had a part in saving from certain destruction. Oh no. Uh, blink. The both of you are reminded of that ill-fated flight of the screams of terror as a wave of the undead swept through the passenger jet, consuming several passengers before the plane was brought safely to a stop in an airport and the contagion contained by Orpheus. I'd like you to roll a horror check, please. Just Mara and Sashi. I got a plus one, uh, and this thing goes with connection, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's a total of five, and I'll leave it at that. I'll take my plus one in lieu of rolling, because I don't want to. So that brings it up to a four. So the both of you pass, standing to lose four. Going to prevent that. Oh, and... To to uh to, to strain the four with my force of will. Well, no, it's not force of will with my clarity. And I'm going to prevent it with my force of will. This uh, new information sends a chill down your spine. You didn't expect to be reminded of that plague so soon. JP continues. Third, the virus sample was being carried by this man. He taps another button, and the image on the screen changes to a to a Caucasian man. He looks rather European. Blue eyes, brown hair, with thin-rimmed glasses, five, five o'clock shadow, sharp chin, and says, this is Dr. Anton Rubinov, a virologist and contagious diseases expert working for Orpheus that was in the process of transporting the sample to, this, to his colleagues in Hong Kong for further analysis. Fourth, Dr. Rubinov was not alone. He was traveling in the company of two off-duty Orpheus agents, and he... Which is the image on the screen again to two pictures of two men, one slightly younger, kind of mid late twenties, and one older, mid thirties, mid mid late thirties, and says the agents were Elias Manusos and Axel Anderberg. Orpheus had quietly made sure that Dr. Rubinov had some measure of security by placing Elias and Axel on the same flight without his knowledge. They were the ones who positively identified the hijackers as black steel and subsequently engaged them in combat. Their actions on board led to the plane crash, but we believe that they had managed to subdue all of the hijackers before the plane inevitably went down and they were unable to save themselves and their passengers on board the flight. Fifth, five hours after the plane went down, a team of investigators from the Russian Federal Air Transport Authority 
along with elements of the Russian military, reached Mirny and now is drive north of here. They were there to set up a staging point and forward operations outpost for the investigation of the plane crash. Half an hour after the task force was confirmed to be at Mirny, all contact with them was lost. Subsequent satellite imagery and helicopter surveillance found that the crash site in the diamond mine in the town itself had been overtaken by some sort of, well, plague. An outbreak of what the two of you found on board that plane. And he gestures to both of you, uh, Mara and Sashi. No. We also have unconfirmed reports of undead in and around the town itself. So our mission here is as follows. Our first objective is to recon Mirny and re-establish contact with any surviving Russian military or air transport authority personnel in the town. Dog workers, you will take point as this part of the operation to, to secure a safe zone in the town for us. Callout, you will follow after the dog workers have secured a defensible position in Mirny. To that end, I have coordinated with Russian military and located a potential safe house for us to use. The main hospital in the center of town. It is a defensible location, central in the town, and it is close enough that we are able to both exfiltrate and reach the diamond mine in the same amount of time. Dog walkers, your first objective will be to secure the hospital, a report back to me, and then await further instructions. Next, you are to next you are to contact Russian authorities in the FSB using the code phrase in a quiet lagoon. Your expected response will be still water has gone deep. You'll be then diverted to our contacts in the FSB special operations branch and will report the situation to them. After that, report back to me and we will move our operation into Mirny. He looks at the three of you and says, That is for the dog walkers, of course. We will be waiting for them to report back to us and then we will move. Following that, dog walkers, you are to spearhead an offensive towards the crash site and secure the surrounding area. Along the way, you will recon the damage to the mine and then report back to me. Any abnormalities are also to be reported, along with any other surviving Russian personnel or townsfolk that you find. Once done, you are to hold position at the crash site and pull security for Coldheart. Coldheart, approximately half an hour after the, the dog workers have commenced their security operation, you will follow in their path and get to the crash site. Your priority there is to investigate the crash site and determine three things. If all Black Steel operatives are dead, if Dr. Anton Rubinov, Elias Manusos, and Axel Anderberg are alive, and ascertain the location of the virus sample. Once you have conclusively completed these objectives, report back to me and then await further instructions. Are there any questions? Nope. So we go in after them, and Mara just just the dog walkers. Uh, how long do we have to wait? 15, 20 minutes tops. They will basically be clearing a path for us, so our journey will be unimpeded. Oh, okay. That sounds fine. Any other questions? Yeah, he shakes his head. Good. If there are no further questions, the dog walkers gear up and get ready to head out. In 10 minutes, we can spare no more time to wait. The three Americans behind you they get up and head outside, leaving the three of you and JP in this tent alone. Shortly afterwards, you hear a couple more sets of footsteps approach the tent, and you find Dr. Volkov has entered, along with another woman. She is mid-30s, black, curly hair, kind of freckles, brown eyes. She's wearing a winter coat, pants, and trekking boots. And JP looks up and goes, Ah, you, I, uh, you've already met Dr. Gennady Volkov. He's going to be following the three of us, the four of us as we move up. You haven't met, though. Uh, Carla, was it? 
the woman nods and approaches the three of you with her hand extended and goes, ah, I'm Agent Carla Krasinski, American NTSB. She will will accept the hand and say, it's Sashi. Erki follows suit and introduces himself as Erki Lindstrom. And Mara will uh, introduce herself as Mara. Carla goes on and says, uh, JP said that we needed an expert in airline crashes to help you guys investigate this clearly dreadful tragedy. And it just so happened that I was in Europe. I was already investigating another air crash. Unrelated to Orpheus, don't worry about it. But he needed my help and here I am. I'll be following you guys after uh, the other Americans clear a path into the city. Gee, lucky us. I'm sorry, that's nothing personal. This is just the how many air crash we have had in the last couple years, JP? Several, yes. It's an unavoidable tragedy, it seems. Although, to be fair, the only time that one of those airlines actually crashed was this one. If I'm not too terribly mistaken, the actions of off-duty Orpheus agents such as yourselves on board those other flights saved the lives of many, many civilians. Okay, yes, that's valid. It's still a tragedy that lives, innocent lives were lost, but you did what you did. You did what you had to do in the face of insurmountable odds and came out on top. Yes, but I don't know. This virus, last, last I saw of it, it's, it's bad. It's, it's, it's really bad. JP nods and uh, Dr. Volkov says, I read the reports of what happened aboard your flight, uh, Agent Vanalor and Agent Kush. It was not pretty. Anton, he, he was trying to figure out what that whole contagion was. He is one of the few virologists employed in Orpheus, you see. And uh, we are a rare breed, we are. I was a good friend of his, a colleague. We graduated from the same university together. He was the one who brought me to Orpheus. And he was the one who showed me that contagion. The last I heard from him, he was on board this flight, yet crashed, unfortunately. He was going to a private laboratory in Hong Kong, looking for help from our colleagues in Asia, as it were. Because as brilliant a man as Anton was, he was not brilliant enough to figure out what this contagion was. And so it, I suppose it falls to me to pick up where he left off. So you went towards the city where we, we, we left from, and also, why wasn't he on a private flight? Anton was not on a private flight because, well, he's a stubborn man and believed that whatever enemies that were looking for him, they would have targeted a private jet much, much easier than they would one man in a sea of hundreds in a, in a passenger jet. Little, of course, did we know the extent of our enemy's reach. That's, I don't know, it, it, it sounds dangerous to me to underestimate them like that. I suppose that is a problem with Backsteel that we've been having lately. We've been underestimating them. Underestimating the reach of the intelligence network, the capabilities of their agents and their soldiers. It is not good, to be blunt. Yes, but one crisis at a time, let's try and get through this first. Yes, let's. So you wait, you sit around the tent, wait for an agonizing 10, 15 minutes. And a few minutes after that, JP receives a radio message. You can see that the Frenchman has actually changed out from his usual nerdy looking tweed jacket 
into combat fatigues and a tactical vest. He's with a radio clip to his shoulder. He's still carrying the briefcase, though, which would have struck you as weird. But as you have seen, you know that this briefcase is something else. And you can hear a tinny voice on his radio speak in Russian-accented English. You can't quite hear what it's saying, but you you see JP sort of raise a hand, click the uh, transmit button on the radio and says, Roger that. We will be moving out now. Looks at the three of you and he looks at the three of you and says, right, well, the Americans have done their job and secured the route for us into the town. We will now be following in their footsteps while they secure the hospital. Hopefully by the time we reach the town and the opposition, they would have secured the hospital proper. If you would head outside to the jeeps, please. Uh, he ushers you out of the tent and towards a bigger truck. You can see that it has seats in the back. It's one of those cargo trucks, like for the military, with long wooden benches in the back cargo area. Soldiers help you get into the truck and belt in, as it were. And within a few minutes, your truck is trundling out of the Zarya town limits on your way to Mirny. And as you leave the town, you can see the soldiers rushing around, packing up things, putting them back on trucks and jeeps. It appears that they're packing up this camp to follow you to the town. Um, just checking what I remember from these trucks. If I watch movies, then I can only see out of the back, right? Yes. Okay. A couple minutes pass, and the truck trundles slowly to a halt. And you can see that the driver taps on the window at the back of the cab. JP sort of responds. The guy slides open the window. They converse briefly in English. And then JP looks at the uh, five of you and says, Right, so it appears that the American... I'll say it again. It appears that the American team left a little gift for us on the road. Uh, Specifically for you, Dr. Volkov, uh, if you would be so kind as to uh, get out and take your sample. Dr. Volkov nods, unbuckles his belt, and makes to leave. Would any of you like to join him? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm not going to leave the doctor alone. I think I'm going to stay in the back of the truck and uh, keep an eye out on the road behind us, just in case there are some potential unwanted surprises lurking still in the woods that the American team might have missed, just so that I can alarm the uh, everyone else in case something creeps up behind us. So, Marin says she, I'd like the two of you to roll... Actually, no. Uh, I'd like all three of you to roll an awareness check with your perception, please. Got a minus one, and my perception is three. I rolled a minus two on my dice, which would bring my perception down to zero. So, I'm going to cancel that out with two mental strain, which is the max I can spend. So, what did you get, Sashi? A two. Um, I think Mara will activate a rank two sensory field. So that means I cannot be surprised by entities up to one area away uh, and stealth cannot exceed in my area or an adjacent area. I have a plus two to awareness. Well, with my plus one uh, on the dice and my two perception, I have a five. I took a plus two in lieu of rolling, so that would be a five. You guys don't really notice anything in particular. As Mara and Sashi get out of the truck, Erki, you move towards the back of the truck, but don't get out. Just sort of looking behind you guys, making sure that you're clear. Sashi and Mara, the two of you follow Dr. Volkov out to the front of the truck, and I would like to make, and I would like the both of you to make a horror check. 
That's a six for me. This does this counts as a new scene, right? Yes. So as I said, Rob cursed my dice. So those are going into dice jail. I take a plus one in lieu of rolling, which brings that to a four. And I will spend strain to bump that up to a five. So the two of you pass. Uh, standing to lose three. I will take none of that. Same. The three of you come across a site on the road that is rather stark and grim, given the circumstances. It looks to be a Russian soldier, a rather young man, although you can't really tell that he's young anymore because he is very much dead. There is a trail of blood leading towards the corpse that lies sprawled on the asphalt. His entrails appear to have been trailing behind him as they are now stuck underneath his corpse, and you can see them. It smells very distinctly of rot and death. Even more so to you, Seshi. You know what fresh blood smells like, and you know that it smells very appetizing to you. This is the complete opposite. That's horrendous. She will cover her mouth. The smell is even worse for you, because this is flesh and blood, and you are keenly more sensitive to it than Mara is. Dr. Volkov seems to pay this no mind as he uh, makes his way towards the corpse. You can see that next to the corpse are also uh, several bullet casings. He nudges the corpse with his foot. It appears to be very dead. He kneels and from his pack pulls a small scalpel and a set of tweezers, cuts off a piece of this guy's cheek, uses the tweezers to place it into a glass Petri dish, closes it up, seals it nice and tight, and then puts it into a hermetically sealed case that he then stuffs into his pack and says, Right, the Americas appear to have left us a uh, fresh corpse, as it were, to collect samples from. This, yes, this will be good. Unfortunately, I very much doubt that we will be able to recovered the original sample, but this should suffice. Oh, God. What, what is that sample for? Well, as I already told you, this is my area of expertise. And since our friend JP over there says that we are heading to a hospital, I am banking on that as a chance to use the hospital's facilities to process this sample. Admittedly, it's not what I would like, I would have much preferred the sterility of a lab, preferably the one back in Moscow, which has better equipment, but I suppose beggars can't be choosers in this situation. If at all possible, I want to try and figure out what Anton was working so feverishly on. Fair enough. He uh, makes his way back to the back of the truck, and he goes, well then, I suppose we should be going. I offer my hand to up to the back of the truck again. He graciously accepts both of your help. You basically pull him back up onto the truck, along with some help from Sashi down below. The three of you clamber back into the truck. Yes, I, and... I, I think Mara will require some help as well, uh, if, if the truck is that high, seeing as she isn't. As the three of you get back into the truck, Dr. Volkov moves to the front of the cargo bed and then wraps his knuckles on the little window on the cab, at the back of the cab. JP nods to the driver, and you guys carry on. Erki, what's your wariness at? 
My weariness is at three, but if I were to use my spirit guardian, I could pump that up a little bit for everyone, I think. Uh, since you're or an ally's vigilance at plus three. Okay, so it's just one person. Uh, but I would have to do that between scenes. We're in a truck for an hour. Yeah. I think I would activate that like when we were back in the uh, truck or while I was like keeping watch or something like that, whichever suits you the best. We'll say that when the truck stopped, you invoked your spirit guardian. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What does that look like? Well, to me, I'm not sure if anyone else can see it, probably not, but to me, the Spirit Guardian is about the same height as myself, and he looks like the a little bit more humanoid manifestation of Ukko himself. So he has a traditional cap made out of the bark of a birch tree, and he has a long white beard, a bit shaggy, at that, a little bit unkempt, and a long white hair as well, and kind of like this uh, long cloth kind of outfit made out of like, uh, I would say like something like uh, a cloth outfit made out of flax. Yeah. So a tu- so like a tunic. So it's a, yeah, it's basically like a tunic. So a old Finnish kind of like this traditional Finnish outfit that outfit that you can see on like a lot of. Finnish folklore heroes in art made out of uh, the Finnish national epic Kalevala. So, yeah, it's basically taking the combinations of like what I saw in the vision of Ukko and the concepts of like Finnish national and brief like Finnish mythology that is like floating around my head and combining those two into this spiritual avatar of Ukko. Nice. As your spirit guardian, this old, wizened vestige of an old god, and you watch Seshi and Mara exit the truck and go do and go about their thing, your spirit guardian comes back to you and beams directly into your mind. I don't sense anything here. Nothing, not even souls of the deceased. Like the man on the road. Nothing. There is nothing here. Where are we? I let out a sigh and under my breath so that the driver and JP and perhaps the others outside the truck as well can't hear. I'm going to say in Finnish that uh, we're on the other side of the border. We're somewhere in Russia of all places. Can you imagine it? Now that Uko mentions it, you look around and normally as a medium you would see, you know, the dead. Spirits of the dead floating around or perhaps haunting certain places. You don't see anything, though. Not even dead wildlife or spirits of people way in the past who might have died in this wilderness before. Nothing. It's eerily, oddly quiet. I cock my eyebrows at that realization, and then I just shake my head and let out a sigh and kind of even perhaps nibble the knuckles on my right hand and mutter under my breath more to myself than to Ukko that... Oh, and here I was going to tell a jo- here I was going to mention a joke about us going to a hospital with there being undead around, but uh, maybe that's not a good idea right now. And then you help Mara and Seshi back onto the truck. As the truck goes along its route, it's oddly quiet. Seshi, the smell of decaying rotten blood is stronger the more you travel. It, it fills your nostrils, almost makes your eyes water. And you can tell that the stench, that since the stench is so strong, and you realize that 
because the stench is so strong, there must be a whole lot of death that you're driving towards. There's a shiver down your spine, says she. It's not the good kind of death that you can just eat. This is the bad kind of death. The one that reminds you of that plane. So, Seshi is pale on her own. Uh, on a good day, she is just pale. She has turned even paler uh, during the flight, which is a little weird. If you look at Seshi now, she is somehow looking more sickly than before. She is... If she wasn't turning more pale, you would think she was turning green. That's what her face reads. And out comes, uh, out of her pocket, she draws a handkerchief and quickly binds it around her head just to function as some sort of mask in the hope to lessen the amount of stench that reaches her nose and her mouth. Carla, sitting across from you, notices this and raises an eyebrow and asks you, it's that bad, huh? Oh, it's so much worse. I mean, yeah, it's I can smell it from here, but it's worse for you? Oh, yeah. Sensitive nose, huh? You could say that. I take a look at Mara and Sishi, and the, the look is basically like, should we ask from her, like, how aware she is of, like, there being supernatural things in the world and stuff like that? Or should we just keep quiet and just um, try to downplay this all? Or? Carla uh, gives you a look, Sashi, and says, you don't have to hide anything from me. We're all Orpheus agents here, right? I was part of the, uh, I was part of the initial investigation into all of those almost plane crashes that you guys were on. So, Especially the ones that ended up in America, too. Carla, can I ask you a question? Go ahead. Do you always go around and just ask everybody, so what is the special thing you can do? Because most of us don't really have special things we can do. We just suffer from conditions that we don't like to be remembered about. Erki was about to say something, but at that remark, his uh, mouth is like kind of hanging open and he shut, uh, closes his mouth slowly and just looks at the back of the truck again and at the road they are leaving behind and just <laughs> remains quiet. She raises her hands in surrender and goes, okay, okay, I, w- I won't pry. I'm just a little curious, that's all. So I smell more than, in this case, smell more than some others. And it's kind of rude to ask just like so what's your thing you will find out my thing if it's necessary okay yeah duly noted i won't ask you anymore and she goes back to reading a book the rest of the drive passes in this tense uncomfortable silence until you feel the truck start to slow down and jp slides the back window open in the cab and says all right we're coming up on the all right, you lot, we are coming up on the perimeter of Muni. The truck is going to slow down at this point, but still, keep your eyes open. The road is clear for the most part, but we can't expect that to stay that way for long. At this point, uh, Mara will activate her sensory field again. I would also like to let the DM know that my vigilance right now is at six, thanks to the spirit guardian being active. <laughs> Amara, with your sensory field, you sense the... Uh, how, wait, what's, what rank is your sensory field at? Is it rank one or rank two? Uh, rank two. You extend your telekinetic senses and you find several more... Cor- uh, 
and you sense several more corpses littering the road in front of you. They feel like dead dead as opposed to undead, and they appear to have been blown away by some sort of force that originated from some point in the road, like a single point, but you're not sure like what happened. Maybe it was an explosion, maybe it was something else, you don't know. Wow. And- um, it, 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 one point you see Mara look up uh, as, and say, well, they've been through here, right? We, we, we will probably be uh, crossing over what, ha- what uh, the Americans left behind in a couple of moments. Uh, mind your heads, we got a bit of a speed bump, and then you feel the truck just go over the assorted corpses on the road. As the truck enters the city, I would like the three of you to once again roll me an awareness check with perception. I have a plus one on the dice, making that a three. I'll bump that up to a five. Um, it's a four for me. I got a plus one, but I think I'm going to take plus two in lieu of rolling the die instead, with, so I'm not going to use any strain tool in order to pump that up to a five again. So uh, once the truck actually is about a minute or two into the city limits, JP uh, knocks on the, on the back window of the cab, slides it open, and then says, All right, be on the lookout for anything. I mean, the Americans have already cleared the way, but the situation is in the rest of the city might spill up onto the street again. Just keep your eyes open, heads on the swivel, trust nothing of your surroundings. And as he slides the window closed and turns around to face the road, you hear someone scream. It's a man, a very high-pitched yet masculine scream of terror. And a moment later... You see JP recoil away from the front of the truck as you see a blur fall downwards with a very meaty thud onto the asphalt a couple of feet in front of the truck. And then another. And another. And another. What does Mara feel of this? She feels a man or a figure falling from the roof of a building followed by several undead figures that land in the man lands in front of the truck very clearly dead and then compounded by several zombies falling on top of him like in front of the truck as in a few seconds later the truck runs into it yeah uh, a few seconds later the truck will run over them yeah so it, when yes. the thud comes you see mara brace for impact because as if she knows what's coming and then the lot of you feel once again the truck juddering over assorted bodies in the road. Once we're As over them, Mara will look back and to see if there's something still moving. As the truck leaves that little disaster zone, Erki and Sashi, you see what exactly happened. It appears that something fell from up high onto the street, followed very closely by several undead corpses that have now become road pancakes after being run over by, well, your truck. It appears that one or two of the piled-on corpses may be moving, but most of it is still. I would like to pay special attention to if they have any souls right now, or if, and, and if, they, if any of the corpses still have like a soul attached to them, or if the soul is leaving, then I would like to also pay attention to like what is happening to the soul. To see like why 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 there were like no souls around, just to get like an idea of what is maybe happening or 
if there are any souls present at all. The only soul you see is of a man rising from that indistinct mass of flesh now. It floats off into the sky and then slowly disappears. And you've seen this before when people pass away due to old age or other means. This is fairly normal. Yeah, so like nothing is like scooping the soul or the soul is not like getting sucked anywhere else. It's just like a normal passing. Nope. And can I say how many bodies there are, like including the man or is it just like a crumpled flesh or like a crumpled mass of like flesh that has been driven over? It is, in fact, a crumpled mass of flesh that has been driven over. It's The corpses are indistinct now. It's hamburger. It's roadkill. A couple minutes pass in tense silence following that horrid tableau. And the truck pulls to a stop in front of a rather tall beige building. And you can see out the front that there is, in fact, a little sign with a red cross on it. This indicates that there is, in fact, a hospital here. This is the hospital that you guys are at. JP once again slides open the back window and says, All right, we're here. Let's get out. Try and find the uh, the trail that our American friends left behind. And then we'll figure out where they are. Uh, Sesh is going to step out and say, Well, that shouldn't be too hard, considering the smell and the visual images. Just look for entrails, guys. JP gets out of the truck. So does the Russian driver. The rest of you in the back follow suit. And I would like one more horror check from all three of you. It's a five for me. A four, which I will make a five. Flat on the die. Um, So that's a four. I'm going to use one strain to pump it up to a five if I can. Okay, so all of you pass, standing to lose four. I still have strain. Let's, Let's not take any. There's quite a lot of spiritual strain and quite a lot of mental strain. It's going well. And with that, I mean, I'm now under half for spiritual. Uh, I used strain to negate all of that. Yeah, I, I, I brought it all down with two strains. So the tableau you see in front of you is one of combat and what results from that. It appears to be a ring of sandbags and hastily constructed barricades ringing around the entrance to this hospital, which appears to also be the accident and emergency department. There are several corpses here, dressed in Russian fatigues, holding Russian weapons. Copious amounts of bullet casings litter the ground, as is, as do several large pools of blood and entrails. And also a whole bunch of corpses, both civilian and military garb, so does it look like our American friends did this, or is it already older than that? Doesn't look like this was the handiwork of the Americans, considering it looks to be like the soldiers that are dead here were the ones that took out a lot of the zombies that are piled around the entrance of the hospital. This defensive ring actually appears to be in uh, pointing inwards towards the hospital entrance, as opposed to pointing outwards to defend the hospital from something. You mean like the zombies were coming from out of the hospital? That's what it looks like to you. Mm. Okay, happy entrails. <laughs> well, I think we found the path. The path leads inside. Let's go. Yes, well, we should still be on our guard, nonetheless. I received word while we were traveling here that 
one of the Americans, in all of her wisdom, decided to cause a slight commotion on the second floor of the hospital, in the West Wing specifically. And as a result, she believes that most of the hospital's resident undead have gathered there as a result. Now, as to whether or not they are still there is an issue in and of itself, but... I suppose beggars can't be choosers at this point. We will just have to make do with what we've got. Which means we will be avoiding the second floor at all costs. That seems reasonable. As the group of your approach, you can now also tell that the crunch underneath your shoes isn't of bones or anything, but lots and lots of shards of glass. And as you look up, you can see that some of the windows on this side of the building ha- are broken. They appear to have burst outwards. As the th- group of you enter the hospital, I would like the three of you to roll a collaborative investigation check with Cognition, please. Shall I take point? Uh, someone has to take point, right? That depends on who has the highest skill. I've got a four. Yeah, that's higher than mine. I got a two in investigation, and I rolled a plus one, so that would be like four. Could maybe pump it up to a five as well by using one. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. My uh, my result is a six, and I'll keep that. Back. Yeah, I'm using one strain to boost my result up to a five. Oh boy, I rolled a flat on the dice, uh, but that's okay. I will. Let's try that. That's better. That's a plus two on the dice, making that a. F- Four. You had a what, René? Six. Six. And I had five. Okay. Then I will spend two strain to match your result. So also a six. So the collaborative check rounds out to a nine, because that is a plus three, since you matched results with Mara. Mm -hmm. You find the trail that the American team left behind pretty easily. Fresh blood, especially since, Seshi, you can very distinctly differentiate between the cloying scent of undeath in here from fresh blood that has been spilled, along with, of course, fresh bullet casings, new corpse, uh, other corpses that appear to have been killed with no sign of any other allied bodies like Russian soldiers or what have you. You follow a set of bloody footprints up a set of stairs. This trail appears to lead up to the fourth floor, to the uh, third floor, and then it stops and then starts again in like the little awning that go that is in between like third, the third floor and the fourth floor in the set in the uh, stairwell. And as you follow these footsteps, you s- soon see why. It appears that both the staircases in between the third and the fourth floor have been barricaded hastily by a bunch of beds, shelves, ivy stands, anything that that, that uh, apparently someone has could have gotten their hands on. They've stuffed the staircase pretty much with a barricade that is high enough to keep out any wandering undead from sort of stumbling up the stairs or casually breaking through the barricade. The bloody footprints appear to stop when they encounter when it encounters the first barricade and then mysteriously reappears on the stairs leading up on the other side of the stairwell. What do you do? Is that blood fresh? It's fresh, yes. Uh, it's fresh enough, even though it's still like undead blood, but it's been spilled recently, very recently. Mm, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's still 
rotten blood, but just fresher than what we have encountered before. Yes. Oh. Oh, no. That blood is the same as the blood we saw before. The, the, that stuff, that the, the footsteps that stopped at the barricade. And it's fresh-ish. It's fresh from... Like, shall we just call them zombies? It's fresh zombie blood. That's, that's easier. We, we aren't in some cheesy B-movie. Yes, we can call them zombies. <laughs> JP kind of bends down, kind of takes a look at these footprints and says, yes, these appear to be boot prints, like military boots. Not any brand that I'm familiar with, but I do believe that these were made fairly recently, like just probably an hour or so ago, or, or even, even lesser. Would that be our American friends, if you're not familiar with the bootprints? Uh, hold on, let yeah, yeah, hold on, let me check. He uh, raises a hand to the radio on his shoulder, clicks the button in, has a quick conversation with uh, his counterparts somewhere else in the hospital. He takes a few moments and then goes, uh, yes, I think, if I'm not mistaken, yes, these are the footprints that the Americans left behind. They must have jumped their gap between this handrail and the other one that is across that gap to get past the barricade. Although, uh, it's not exactly, uh, one would say, safe. Especially, and I don't think we can manage having Dr. Volkov jump over this gap. It is uh, not exactly what, how, what I would call a safe passage. So we might have to find another way up. As long as we avoid the second floor, we should be fine. Reassuring. The barricade was on the third floor. Uh, the barricade is set up in the stairwell that leads from the third floor up to the fourth floor. So you know how, like, usually with a set of stairs, there's, like, one stair that goes up to an awning between the two floors and then another set of stairs, and then the awning for the fourth floor? So there are two barricades, one on each set of stairs. Okay. We could try and break down the barricade. But then that would compromise the security of of um, the, the group of survivors that have holed up in the fourth floor of the hospital. Unless we put back the barricade after we break it down, but still, it remains that we will be we, we would be compromising security from this stairwell. Unless of course hmm unless of course we use this as the evacuation route for later. Mm-mm. What what do you guys think? Yes, we would compromise the safety for a little bit, but we are with three at least three skilled agents here. Which means that the sheer presence of us makes the safety higher. Therefore, breaking down a barricade wouldn't really do much for safety, as long as we build it back up. If we do that in a way that we can break it back down from the other side, it would still be an escape route. What I was wondering, if we want to be on the other side of the barricade one way or the other, so we'd have to break it down at some point, right? Whether it's here or somewhere else. That too. And getting the doctor on the other side is essential for the safety of the doctor. Erki looks around to see if there are like any elevators nearby or tries to remember if there were like any elevators down on the first first floor where we entered. This is a stairwell. The elevators you remember on the first floor lobby, they are in the middle of the building. And this is the west side of the building. I do believe that I am giving the decision over to you two. Well, it looks like um, this general consensus is to break down this barricade and then build it back up once we're on the other side. Sounds simple enough, I suppose. 
Is there like a single hospital bed there that could like easily be maneuvered or moved in such a way that we could like easily push it back without like collapsing the entire barricade? There is a hospital bed wedged horizontally across the length of the stair, the width of the stairwell, and that's what's providing the most solid object in this barricade. Other things have been piled up around it, but this upturned bed is pretty much the star of the show, as it were. So I would like the three of you to roll a collaborative security check with your dexterity this time, because you are using your knowledge, your combined knowledge of how to build barricades and how to put them back with your, well, physical capabilities of breaking down said barricade and putting it back together. Yeah, so that's analog security, right? Yes, analog security with dexterity. If somebody else gives Seshi uh, like the pointers on where she has to lift, can I do that with might? Yes, I'll allow that. Yeah. So uh, I think Mara will take point. I have three ranks in analog security. Unless someone has higher ranks in analog security. Mm, What did you have? I have three. Me as well. And four dexterity. I have two dexterity, so... (laughs) Um, What? I rolled a minus three. And and you can re-roll, right? No, because I have a one in might. I have no uh, analog security. (sighs) Which is why I pushed for might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can make that a minus one. But as you may know, Sashi is very much a charismatic character, so not... So that's a total of one. I have a, a minus one on my roll, but I use my reroll. That's still a minus one. Oh no. <laughs> well, that's fine. The good thing is, if we don't deviate too far out, we actually get a higher result. Yeah, indeed. So I think I will keep it at the three then. So Mara's got a three. Sashi's so got a one. Okay. I think I'm going to be using three strain to boost my result up to a five or four. What do you guys think? Is it deviating I, too much? I, 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 th- I think you should just go for, for, for a three or a four. Three or a four, okay. Because I rolled a flat and then I re-rolled and I rolled a flat as well. So a normal result would be a two in that case if I don't use any strength. Yeah. I, I mean, sorry, any strain. So just go up to a three then? Yeah, I'm going to be using three or four, maybe. Yeah, I'm going to use one strain to pump it up to a three. So all in all, the check goes up to a plus three because the both of you matched results. So grand total is a six. So with a six, it takes a little bit of doing. You stumble here and there kind of in dismantling this rather meticulously put up barricade. And you break it down with relative ease. But when it comes time to put it back up, you stumble here and there, trying to remember what what bit goes where, maybe improvising a reinforcement or two. You're not quite sure how well this this barricade will stand up to its original construction. But hey, you're on the other side of it now. I I I feel like the biggest problem with putting it back together is we only knew how it looked from the one side. So that's I, th- I think that's where most of our problems went. Pretty much. And you repeat this with the other set of barricades on the other staircase, and now you are on the fourth floor. This place feels and sounds a lot more peaceful than down below. While you were downstairs, you did occasionally hear the sounds of scuffing feet, zombie moans, 
other assorted noises, but up here it's quieter. And as the group of you head down this hallway to rendezvous with the other survivors, you are met with a Russian soldier. It's an older man, black hair, full beard, and he waves to JP, who waves back. And JP says, Ah, Christoph, good to see you again. The soldier approaches the group of you and says, Well, yes. The journey here was not too difficult, I I hope. No, no, it wasn't. Thank you for securing the way. I hope the Americans weren't uh, too much of a problem with you. The Russian soldier shakes his head. Yet, they were, well, interesting and unorthodox. Let's put it this way. Come, come. There is a group of survivors further down this hallway that have set up a shelter here. We have decided to use it as... Pretty much our base of operations from here on out. And he gestures for the group of you to follow. As we do, I would like to give a just a quick glance at his like uh, combat gear to see if it's like intact or if there are like any potential like scuff marks or like bite marks or like you know anything like that from me, which would be a typical indicator that not all that everything is not as it seems to be. And in a situation like this where we're dealing with zombies, that might be a potential threat further down the line if the uh, if, if there are like any signs of like you know being bitten or being hurt by something doesn't look like it okay erki has seen too many zombie movies he wants to be sure so <laughs> yeah that's why he does it <laughs> the soldier leads you to a ward he takes you inside the ward and comes out on the other side okay hold on let me let me explain that a bit more so he takes you down the hallway towards a ward. Now, you three of you have probably seen a hospital ward before. It's a big open area where, you know, there are beds. There are curtain off areas where the patient beds are. They usually sleep there. There's usually a nurse's station somewhere nearby. All the beds in this ward have been removed. And it's now just an empty big room with uh, doors on either side of it. And the soldier leads you through one door and then out the other. And you come out in a survivor's shelter, to put it bluntly. There are a couple of civilians and other soldiers here. You can see that in a corner of of this hallway and adjoining ward, there has been set up a small medical area where a few injured soldiers and civilians lie being treated by other soldiers. As for the rest of the people, you do see the three American agents standing off to the side, and other civilians, soldiers milling around. A lot of them look very haunted, troubled by the things that have happened here. JP is busy talking with this older Russian soldier, and when he comes back to the group of you, he says, All right, that was Agent Christoph Borotev. He is uh, the one assigned to the dog walkers. So, our plan has changed a little bit. Agent Krasinski, you will be accompanying the dog workers now. Since we talked a little bit about what's going to happen, and we feel that it would be more, it would be more convenient for you to follow the dog workers to the car site, so you can perform your investigations there instead of having to wait. Carla nods and goes, "Yeah, sure. Um, as long as I can keep me safe." And then she makes her way over to the American group along with the older soldier you can see them talk amongst themselves for perhaps a few minutes and then they brush past you and leave jp turns to the rest of you and goes right now i understand that dr volkov you wish to use the hospital facilities 
to perhaps examine that flesh sample that you obtained from the soldiers that the Americans left. Dr. Volkov nods and says, uh, yes, I would like to try and pick up where my friend left off. JP nods. Good. Um, I will get some soldiers to follow you. I need to stay here. There are injured here that require the attention of, well, medical personnel. And as you can see, we are strapped for people. Thankfully, I am a surgeon by trade. So I'm going to stay here, coordinate efforts between you guys and the Americans, as well as treat our wounded and get them ready for evacuation later. The three of you are going to follow Dr. Volkov down into the basement of the hospital, try and find the labs where they might have done blood work or some other things. I'm not quite sure where they would have done it here, but try and find hematology lab or some other facility like that within this building. Escort Dr. Volkov there and make sure that above all else he is safe. Sounds doable. Should not be a problem. Now that we are here, uh, do do any of the more permanent residents, can they tell us the safest route down anyway? Like going through the barrier again wouldn't seem like the safest thing. JP nods, asks Dr. Volkov to help him translate. He goes off to talk to some of the soldiers that are here. A couple minutes pass and he comes back and says... There is another route, but you will have to use the elevator shaft. And you can reasonably assume what I'm going to ask you to do when I, when I mention the phrase elevator shaft. Yes? Yes, I, 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 I recognize that you add the word shaft, as, as in we are not going to use the elevator. Mara, have you ever been in an emergency don't you know that elevators just say, don't use us in case of emergency? JP looks to the three of you and goes, is there anything else? The three of you can rest here for a moment if you need. Uh, yeah, JP, if I could talk to you in private in one of the less populated areas of this room, just for a moment. JP nods and uh, says, uh, there's a storage closet nearby uh, that should afford us some measure of privacy. Mm-hmm. Lead the way. He leads you to a storage closet off to the side. It's not populated. In here is just cleaning supplies, toilet paper. You can recognize wet floor signs. He closes the door, locks it, and goes, right, well, this is as private as we can get. What's what's on your mind? I look around and kind of bite my lip and say, I didn't want to alarm the others because it might might not have anything to do with these undead, these these zombies, but it, I just want you to be aware that it might also have something to do with them. Uh, any, anyway, uh, while we were driving here, I um, I, I tried to see if any of the uh, corpses that we drove over had like any soul, so if there were like any, you know, like traces of animal souls or anything like that, and um, I I I didn't pick up anything. I, I only saw one soul from the body of, uh, I mean, the pile of bodies that we drove over just before we arrived here that apparently fell in front of you or something, if I heard correctly based on the thumbs and stuff like that. In, in any case, I, I only saw one soul leaving from that pile of bodies. So um, it, uh, it seems to me, I mean, I am not a virologist or anything like that, but it seems to me that uh, the reanimation happens after the soul has left the body and it there might be something else in play with this as well seeing as how like i said there were no animal souls i i didn't see any like 
source of deer or, or other animals or anything like that, or even other, any source of other humans. So it is, uh, it's it's not the normal, shall we say, spiritual landscape around here right now that it should be. JP nods and goes, well, it's good that we have a medium on world. Hmm, it's, it is indeed troubling, but at the same time, I suppose this outcome was to be expected, really. I read some of the reports from the plane that Agent Kush and Agent Vanalor helped save, and it does corroborate what we've seen so far, that the undead appear to reanimate after brain death. It's not like, well, I don't know whether we have seen other more, more modern zombie movies, like uh, 28 Days Later, for example. Those guys... I, I have, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so those zombies were infected humans, still alive, so... We can conclusively rule out, as a very least, that we won't be finding any live specimens here. They would all be very dead. But it's a, it is a good, good, good if you to point that out. Thank you for letting me know. Uh, Erki nods and then continues. Uh, if you have any uh, context, uh, co- uh, contacts uh, currently taking part in this operation elsewhere that might want to know about that, you might want to let them know. Uh, otherwise, just... Uh, just, just a heads up in case we encounter something else. Right. Well, so far, I do believe that this is the only instance of this particular contagion reported by either mainstream media or picked up by our watchdogs. So, but I, I will, I will let the rest of the investigation team know. I will let the underhandlers on this case know, and your the information is appreciated. We will look out for any other signs of this contagion. Our American counterparts will no doubt have that in hand. He nods and unlocks the door and walks out and keeps the door open for JP as well. JP also leaves. You can you see him a few moments later making his way to where the injured people are. He grabs a nearby set of medical tools, kind of has one of the Russian soldiers explain that he is a doctor, and he gets to work. This has been Applied Materials. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you to Yorin for playing Sashi Kush, Renee for playing Mara Vanalor, Laurie for playing Erky Lindstrom. Do follow the show at Applied Mats on Twitter to keep up with the podcast, and I will see you in the next episode. Good night. Coldheart begin the next step of their investigation and soon receive surprising news from JP. Mundane tasks and less than mundane reveals. Next time on Land of the Unburied.